Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders, I'm Jeff Wenzel, your host of the Successfully Funded podcast brought to you by the Woodshed Agency, and I hope all of you are having an awesome, awesome middle of the week. It's Wednesday, folks. So crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there, huh? You guys doing all right? You guys raising that capital? Getting the money in? Telling people? Making your updates? Sending out backer reports? Huh? All that fun stuff? So today's episode, I actually have Tom Beckett uh, that I got to sit down with from Maslow CNC uh, Kickstarter campaign. Uh, the Maslow is it's a woodworking tool, I believe. And I'm not much on woodworking. I'll get into that in a little bit here in this episode. But um, uh, the creator was Bar Smith, and he ended up creating this really unique open-source CNC um, product that allows you to kind of create custom designs. And you know what? I'll let that interview do a better job of explaining exactly what it is. But their, their campaign was so successful that this is the first time I've ever seen this. They actually shut their campaign off. They stopped it in the middle of it. So they ended up raising three hundred, just under $315,000 on like a $15,000 goal or something like that. So, I'm sorry, $50,000 goal. Sorry, got my fives mixed up. But um, so yeah, so that conversation is coming up a little bit later. And uh, so speaking of woodworking, uh, well, I'm going to have two parts to this intro. This, this, this morning, I'm, it's 8.30 Wednesday morning when I'm recording this intro, and it's already been an emotional roller coaster this morning. So, but let's go ahead and get into the woodworking part of this. Um, so, like I told everybody, my 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 grandma, the kid's great grandma, decided that I deserve a new bed frame and mattress because we're sleeping on some. My wife and I have been sleeping on something that's thirty years old, right? You know. So this isn't some grandiose purchase, mind you. I mean, all total, I mean, we're looking at like five, six hundred bucks total. You know, so. so it's not like I broke the bank to achieve sleeping on something that's not 30 years old. So, on top of that, I decided, though, that, you know, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. So, I got some end tables and, and a, uh, um, a different chest of drawers or something. I don't know, whatever they're called. So, let me let me stop for a quick second. I might be sounding a little weird. This morning has been so emotional that I'm actually sitting in my car recording this, and I just grabbed a lavalier mic, plugged it into my phone, and just I'm just recording. So if I sound wonky, it's because I'm not on not on the good system right now. I'm just decompressing, decompressing, making content, documenting, right? Documenting. So so yes. So Monday I went to IKEA, bought everything. I had a goal of doing this all in one trip. So I come home Monday night and I start building the the uh, the nightstands and the dresser and all that stuff. And in that moment, I was just mesmerized by actually how amazing IKEA is. The fact that there is an end table or a nightstand in a small box fascinated me. And I opened the boxes more gently than before just to look at how on earth somebody on this planet designed the layout of these boxes to be replicated to such detail and to, you know, to be able to rinse and repeat these things, right? That anybody on the planet technically could build one of these things. And I say anybody because where I get to my story about what happened yesterday, maybe everybody can't build these things. So in a nutshell, I was just floored by this. And as I'm, 
building these, uh, you know, the, the, the first couple contraptions, right? And I'm Alan wrenching it up in a nutshell. You know, the kids are watching me. And, and, and I was taken back to where my dad was a woodworker here or a craftsman or whatever you want to call it. He built stuff with wood and the deck and all this stuff, right? So, you know, but he used real saws and stuff. And I remember sitting there going, man, my dad can build anything, right? And I'm wondering if my kids are going to have that same approach as I'm sitting in our living room, you know, with, you know, with my pajamas on and an Allen wrench. And at some point at the end of it, I do create these, <laughs> these, these tables, right? You know, you know, now granted, there's no context around there, but I wonder if my kids were sitting there going, my dad can build anything. He's a woodworker. And <laughs> oh my goodness. So. So I got the I got everything built right, and now granted I like to think of myself as an IKEA expert. Our entire house is built on it. I have no money, right? So you know we, we build everything with IKEA, and it, you know it, you do what you got to do, right? So now comes yesterday. So yesterday I realized, all right, I, I want to build now the bed frame and get the mattress on, and and I decided I want to do this as to kind of surprise surprise the wife a little bit, right? You know I was like, man, when she comes home from work. Boom, the whole bedroom's going to be done. It's going to look amazing. We're going to have a wonderful night's sleep. Maybe even she might even kiss me. I don't know. Maybe it's that kind of night. You know what I mean? Who knows? So I disassemble this 30-year-old antique, move everything, mind you, by myself. On top of having, you know, the house is just destroyed to do this. I live in a tiny house, so I've got stuff everywhere. I'm moving stuff. The house is just a mess. So I actually called my mom. I was like, Mom, I need you to come up. Just hang out with my daughter for a little bit. So... I get some support. It's around noon. We have lunch. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to knock out this bed frame. It should take me a couple hours. And I'm, we're going to be good to go. So I start working on the headboard portion of this thing yesterday, right? And I'm Alan wrenching it up, screwdriving it up. And literally, we're talking about three, four pieces here. We're not talking about major building here. But I get to this point where the first thing happens is I start screwing in this thing. I mean, literally, I'm just screwing in a thing that's got to go down an eighth of an inch, quarter of an inch. We're not talking about some major. I'm just screwing it. And the wood just kind of just just snaps and, like, breaks. I mean, just this part breaks. I'm like, oh, my God. So I get on the call with Ikea, and I'm on hold for 20 minutes. Finally, I get to somebody. I ask them, hey, what do I do here? Do I just bring this part in? They're like, yeah, just bring it in. Two-second answer. Why is that not in your FAQ? That's all another question. So now I'm... I, I have to go to drive to Ikea. That's a 30-minute drive for me. That's just what it is. I get there, exchange the part, get four or five of the other little woody snap things that go in, come home, start working on this thing, and I work on this thing for an hour and a half. I have my mom look at it. These three parts will not go together under any circumstances. Under any, I'm telling you, under any circumstances, it will not go together. I have, no matter what happens... No matter what way I configure these things, I have about a quarter inch gap between the two sides of the headboard and the headboard itself. So I have, I'm trying to use some brute force on cheap wood. I break three screws, the little screw things that tighten it down, these little whatever weird contraptions. I have my mother look at this thing, and I know that that's nowhere near as a, you know, she's not an expert on any level, but I have her... We can't get this. We physically cannot get this. I got to a point where I was so frustrated with this whole scenario that I literally put all the stuff back in my car, not in the boxes. I put everything in there. It's two boxes. It's a ton of it's a ton of stuff. It's, I put it all in my car and I go, that's it. I'm taking it back. We are starting over. I've got broken parts. 
this thing, no matter what I do, will not go together. And I, again, I think I'm an Ikea expert. So I get back in the car. Now it's about five o'clock. I have to get dinner started. So I throw water to boil it. And I ask my mom, I'm like, mom, I just need you to boil some hot dogs, put some French fries in, feed these kids. Here's some soup for you. You know, Aaron will be home in 30 minutes. I'm, I'm driving to Ikea. I'm dealing with this. I'm going to come home. I'm still going to get this. I'm going to get this bedroom put together by the end of the night, no matter what. Drive another 30 minutes. So now I've got, mind you, the 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. So I've got an hour already into Ikea. Now I'm doing another 30 minutes. I roll up to Ikea last night around 5.30, 5.40-ish because of traffic, because I'm in rush hour traffic here. I pull up. I notice that there's no cars in the parking lot. Go up to the door, and Ikea is closed. Yeah. There was a holiday, I guess, yesterday. I'm still not 100% sure. I, I, I found out, I think it might be, there was a Jewish holiday yesterday. Apologize for anybody out there not being anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic. I don't know. I'm not Jewish. I didn't know that things closed on December 13th, considering that I was already at Ikea earlier in the day. They just closed early at 5 o'clock. I had a moment where I was like, I, I went in the car and I literally wanted to just scream as loud as I possibly could about how intense. I, I was so upset at that moment. And then I, but I just, I came back down, I laughed, I looked at the full moon. Now, mind you, yesterday had some amazingly odd things happen yesterday. I also, in my free crowdfunding calls that I give people that you can just call me, I actually had to hang up on a lady because she was being so belligerent and nasty with me is cussing at me because she didn't like my advice. Mind you, this was free. She signed up. I had to hang up on somebody. Then I found out that my business partner, Paul, he had to, uh, uh, he got yelled, his kid got yelled at at a library by a librarian for nothing. Yesterday was a wonky day, right? So, right now in my car, I'm, I'm literally my other car, I'm sitting in my wife's car, I'm looking at my car because I'm getting ready to figure out if I'm going to drive to Ikea here in a minute and go handle this scenario. And I'm praying that they just give me a new one and let me start fresh because whatever's in my car right now is an animal and it will not be tamed and I cannot get it. And I understand that this is some woodworking stuff for Ikea, but I can't get it. So let's, let's flip over into what this morning has looked like. Let's, let's just, let's continue this journey. This, this last 24 hour Jeff Wenzel journey, right? And mind you at this point, I am, I, I am just, it's just whatever. Again, I'm recording this from my car because I'm decompressing right now. I pre mind you, let, let's also say this. I'm going to throw this out there too. Thank you, everybody out there, for allowing me to vent in these therapeutic 10-minute sessions before I give you the, the, the what you're really here for, you know, successfully funded podcast episodes. Um, so this morning, I wake up. We're talking about around 7.10, 7.15 this morning, Wednesday. So I don't know whenever you're listening to this, but whatever it is, it's Wednesday morning. In the morning, we're just getting everybody up ready to school for school. My daughter starts choking. My wife runs. I, I, I freak, you know, I, I, I find her choking on some her breakfast. As she, and she's walking into me, and you can see her stuff's coming out of her mouth. Aaron comes out and actually grabs her and does the Heimlich maneuver and gets her to stop choking. So I am in tears. My wife's in tears. It, that is the absolute most intense moment when you are giving your daughter or your younger kid the Heimlich maneuver to, you know. So I, you know, Neve's fine. She was, you know, well, she is now puking. 
Um, she's sick right now. So she has ended up puking a few times this morning. So she's staying home from school. Now my wife's home. I'm sitting in the car recording this podcast episode, decompressing. And I am on absolute... I, I'm just a ball of energy. And I'm going to try to get to yoga today. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm going to... Because my daughter's homesick, and that's obviously first priority. But these last 24 hours, and it is a full moon, big time full moon out there. And I'm telling you, it is some, there's just something in the universe that just, I think that moon gets too close to the earth, or gets closer, and everybody just gets wonky. And I'm going to go jump into Wednesday, jump into Ikea, and I'm going to get this freaking bed built. That I'm going to do. I'm going to sleep on that new queen mattress we got. Whether, uh, I, you know, I'm going to get it done somehow today. So, whew, has it been a last couple episodes, uh, last couple hours. I think I'm just going to take a quick moment, if you guys don't mind. All right. Let me go ahead and sell me a little bit. I got to go sell myself a little bit. So, the big news. We are soft launching the, pot, the, the, the new crowdfunding success roadmap product right now. That was a mouthful. Um, you can only get to, to a few places. I haven't publicly put the link out yet. It's not really on the website yet. But if you email me or social media me, find me somewhere and let me know that you want to check it out. Check it out. This product, man, it took us six months, eight months, something like that. It took us a ton of time to put together, but it is the most up-to-date information on crowdfunding. It's information that's come from, from these episodes, right? This is the most cutting edge. If you're thinking about running a campaign here in the next you know, couple months, couple weeks, whatever it is, you got to get this product because I walk you through everything that I do. All the tools, you get tutorials. We don't leave you hanging. We, it's not like I say, hey, go check out Snipply and you never, what, what, the, what is that? You're going to get a tutorial video on it. It's awesome. It really is. It's a great product and, you know, you get to download everything. You get access. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you can stream the videos right now, but it's awesome. It's just a ton of content on there. You get worksheets, you get, you know, you just get everything. You even get emails. I got. I give you some of my private emails in my in my uh, my uh, address book of some of my contacts. So, like I said, if you want to know about that, we haven't gone public, truly public with it yet. It's still in a bit of a beta form. Just let me know. Shoot me an email. Find me. You know where to find me. Second thing is sign up for our Slack channel. We've got a lot of great conversations going on there. Just yesterday, I put in there about the new Facebook um, page layouts and how to approach those. So, you know great link in there and we had some good conversation around that so so check that out you can get to that by joining our community uh follow us on social media please you know go out and find us and uh all right i think that's all the selling i need to do i am getting i'm gonna pause this i'm gonna go put this episode together and then i'm gonna jump back in to my life because it's not even nine in the morning on wednesday and we're gonna get this episode out we're gonna we're gonna do it. All right, here's my conversation with Tom from Maslow CNC, um, who had an unbelievably successfully Kickstarter campaign. And uh, here we go. Here's our conversation. Yeah, bring it back up, rack up in my face, girl. That's what's up. I like it when you get wild on me. Work up a good sweat and break it down on me. I've got the red button too. You got the red button. We both see it. We're both excited. So uh, I think I get you, it now. You got it. Yeah. See. 
see, you just know that now action's supposed to happen. Now, now it could go completely like crappy now, but or it could go really well. So who knows, you know? But at least it's recording, right? Yep. Yep. Awesome. All right, Tom. Well, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about uh, your very successful Kickstarter campaign that I think you had to shut off, if I'm not mistaken? Correct. Uh, yeah. As in, we're we kind of sold, sold off, out. and it's now over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So it was it was for the Maslow CNC. Uh, we just wrapped up. Um, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so we've been done mm-hmm. for a couple weeks now. Um, and Maslow is a four by eight foot CNC cutting machine. And for people that aren't really familiar with CNC, it's kind of like, you know, okay, you know what a 3D printer is. 3D printers, you extrude hot plastic, you build from the ground up something from nothing. CNC, you would put in like a block of wood or metal, and it would mm-hmm. kind of whittle it down until you get to a your like finished product. So. Mm-hmm. These, these things exist, but kind of our, our spin on it is we take these really expensive, cool tools. Um, and when I say we, I mean my, uh, mad genius engineering buddy. Um, he just makes, he finds little tweaks and makes them insanely cheap. And suddenly that kind of exposes the tool to a new market, um, which kind of has a snowball effect in terms of people that, you know, maybe we're aware of the product, uh, can suddenly play with it, but, uh, what's even cooler is people that didn't even know what it was, what it could do, suddenly are like, oh, maybe I could use that in my my everyday life. Yeah, so walk me through a little bit. You know, I am not a woodworker on any level. My dad is, mm-hmm. so I showed it to him, and he was like, that's pretty cool, you know, but he's a 60-year-old <laughs> guy, so he was just like, that's cool looking. He didn't really, you know, go past that. So walk me through, how does this thing work? Yeah, so we... Uh, your your dad's probably very familiar with a your standard router, um, mm-hmm. some, yep. a tool you would use manually. And for a seasoned woodworker, um, you know they're very good with them, but that takes a lot of time to kind of get that finesse. So CNC that just essentially means we threw a computer on it. Um, okay. So so this thing has two motors in the uh, top left and top right corners, and it suspends that router by two essentially bike bike chains. Hmm. Um, and the clever spin on this is that it uses a, a closed loop feedback system, which at every, you know, I forget at what, uh, how often it is, but it constantly knows where the router is. Even if the motors are slowing down or struggling or whatever, the machine's constantly updating itself. So it knows where it is at all times. And that's why we can, you know, it moves slow, um, but it cuts very accurately, uh, to the same kind of caliber of some of the larger machines, more expensive ones. Um, but it, it's scrappy. It's a scrappy little yeah. machine. <laughs> well, it, it, uh, it looks really sweet. I mean, in, in the videos and stuff, uh, you know, just watching it kind of, you know, I know they're kind of sped up a little bit, but just all of a sudden making this cool design pops out of this wood. I mean, it, it, I just, I can't wrap my, I, I personally am having a hard time wrapping my head around how it goes from computer to that, to the router, you know, like, like, you know, how, what, is there a program you use or how do you design? I think I saw one with like a cool skull or something like, how, yeah. how does it get from A to B, you know? So they're, they're kind of like two parts. You can, you can take part and learn how to design the files yourself. Or if you're just kind of like, okay, I want that, that quality of cutout. I don't do any, any and I, uh, let's say I receive designs and it's like, I just want to emulate what already exists. You could just go download mm-hmm. files, plug them in and it'll start cutting them out. But if you have the time and the desire to actually learn how to, you know, do 3D design, 
you would go through something like, you know, the, the smallest program you would use would might be like Google SketchUp, um, super basic. Um, and once you kind of learn how to use that one, you can start to learn how to use the other tools. Interesting. Interesting. So, so is it, is it open source type of code or is there like a, a, a members form or something like that that people would go on to? Yeah. Our, um, do we, do we still have the red dot for you? Uh, yeah, I've got a red dot. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm clicking. Yeah, I am. I I, I, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you would, uh, so this, this entire project, like our first one, open source, open hardware, the whole idea is my buddy came up with it. He wants it out into the world because he gets how powerful it is that he came up with it. And he thinks, I mean, well, he, we originally thought with the first project that there was this community of people that would want to iterate and make this thing, this design better. We now know that from the first project. And we went into the second one here um, saying, okay, we know the community's excited and willing to work on a piece of entirely open, um, an entirely open tool. So you, we, have our, we have our community forums. All of the design files are online. Um, I think the, the full bill of materials is up yet. If not, it should be up shortly. Um, in, our, in our previous project, it had all of that as well. That's sweet. So what was the previous project? I guess I didn't, I didn't see that one. Yeah, it was, it was a couple years ago now. Um, it was for the MakeSmith CNC. And that was essentially the same um, clever tech... Uh, tweaks to it, but it was for a desktop CNC machine. So it took up about a, a cubic foot on your desk, um, and it was for very small, precise things. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about the mad genius behind the scenes. Uh, who, who is who is putting this all together and, and reshaping the CNC world here? Yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll blow your mind. Um, he's a old college buddy of mine, um, you know, very good friend of mine. Uh, but he came to me, he was on a four, I was on a four year program. He was on a five year, um, cause he was doing a more technical education. And he came to me right as I was graduating and said, um, Hey, I have this thing. I think it's going to be my senior design project. I know you're into business and entrepreneurship. Do you want to buddy up and kind of see where this goes? Um, and so I watched, I watched, I've watched this project evolve over time, and it started as, it came home as a pizza box, um, okay. just laser cut, <laughs> and so that was the frame, and so we, we kind of got it conceptually after that, and then we started to get the little parts coming in, and you'd hear him in his room, you know, drilling around, or, I mean, you'd always hear that little router going, but we've, we watched it evolve from a concept to it worked on the first project, and then he essentially took, took the same tech there and put it on this larger machine. Um, but all essentially all the software um, and machine code is all the same. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So now do you, now do you start that on the coding process? Is that something that you guys do in house, or is, or like, or, you know, or do you have to build that community as well, or or, or is that just kind of been happening naturally? That's so he he wrote all the machine code um, that allows you to do the three D files, and then um, you can use the other stuff that's out there. Um, mm-hmm. He's created it in a way that. You kind of use whatever you like, but he has his kind of list of recommendations. Gotcha, gotcha. So you talked a little bit about, uh, or that you have the entrepreneur spirit. So what's your background? Uh, so I did, I studied history in school, um, and then I did some technology management as well. But um, he, you know, honestly, he's the one who introduced Kickstarter to me. And I started, I had heard it. It was becoming a household name at that point, but then mm-hmm. actually doing it and really understanding like 
wow. We, I mean, we were two punk kids right, right out of college, and we essentially put a business presentation together, and we, um, you know, elaborated on several things that anyone who had questions or skepticism could look at it and say, okay, these guys have thought this through. And with a little bit of social proof, we convinced the internet that we had an idea that we were going to execute on. And after that happened, that was, I mean, so I was just generally interested in entrepreneurship. But then after that, I was just totally sold on this whole crowdfunding thing. And I've just become obsessed with it over the last three years. (laughs) That's sweet. Where'd you guys go to school? We are banana slugs. So UC Santa Cruz. Oh, all right. I did not know that they were the banana slugs. I apologize. I'm in Detroit. I didn't know. I, I'm That's sorry. fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, so, so how far are you outside of school then? I mean, I, this is the second project. Uh, you know, what, what's, what's kind of that time frame look like? So we did that first project in 2014. So I was a year out and he graduated like the day after we wrapped up that first campaign. Um, and at this point, we've been out for a little over three years. Okay, and and are you is is Maslow like is that the the company that that you know you guys are working on, or do you guys have other jobs or anything like that? Yeah, right now um, I work at a biotech startup, and I'm kind of moving more into the doing more stuff with crowdfunding. Um, okay. the The first project I was a co-founder, or kind of like an equal co-founder. Um, and we were trying to build a business there. The second one, I'm more on the crowdfunding side, um, and I'm kind of helping out with other things. But uh, Hannah and Barr are definitely the uh, the full time co founders on this one. Gotcha, gotcha. So, what, what's your then? If you know, if you had to explain crowdfunding and and where it is right now, how would you describe it? Since you've got a couple successful projects under your belt. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so. so- if you have an idea and you've talked to people about it and you kind of think that there's a sense for other people around might want this, um, this is like, this is that vehicle where you don't have to go to the bank to get a loan. You don't have to, um, find your rich aunt or uncle. Like it, it, it really lowers the barrier to entry for anyone to get involved. Like if you have a cool mm-hmm. idea, you can go get validation on your own. Um, right. I think that's super powerful. Um, and I mean, now that we're seeing the equity crowdfunding taking off too, um, I think the world's getting, getting an idea of how cool this is. Yes, I agree. I think equity crowdfunding is going to be much, much bigger than reward based. We're just not quite there yet. I think there's just so many opportunities. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I, I I had a, I, my podcast I launched today was about an electric bike and it's just, it's so much power. So much more power than having to go to a bank and get told no, you know, told no because they're only playing with, you know, we want to give you three billion dollars. It's like I just need sixty thousand dollars, man. Like I just, you know, yep. just yep. changes well, the whole. I, I listened to that episode, and I think the um, yeah. I forget the creator's name, but he he did a good job touching on the fact that there's a lot of intangible benefit in terms of the marketing and the validation and the kind of brand equity that you build by doing, you know. Whether it's equity crowdfunding or rewards-based crowdfunding, mm-hmm. like there's a lot that comes with that, other than the straight cash. Yeah, I mean, well, let's just go back to this one. I mean, you've got over 1,200 backers, you know, who are out. I'm sure waiting for the, can't wait to get the, you know, the product. Can't, you know, probably are in your forums talking about. It. I mean, you're really creating a beautiful community that are going to support idea number three, idea number four, whatever it might be. Yeah, and I so. so Maybe that gives some insight, or I'll give some insight in terms of how we were able to do this campaign pretty well. 
Um, so with with Makesmith, uh, the first project a couple years ago, we we did the campaign. We raised a lot of money, or I mean, we raised a good amount of money for having no idea what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the overall thing that came out of that campaign was we said we were going to do something, and then we delivered on it. Right. Um, we were two weeks later than our delivery date, which for a Kickstarter, uh, a hardware Kickstarter, we were very proud of. Um, and we had people tell us after we delivered on that and, and things slowed down after that. And we, we kind of wrapped it up, but, um, people were really happy. They said we were totally transparent the whole time and that if we ever came back with another project, they would come right back. And so we kind of always had that in the back of our minds that if we did another hardware project or, or something like that one, we had, we didn't know how large the group was. Um, you know, who knows if all of your original backers would come back, but we knew right, there were, right. you know, a couple core ones that would come back. And that's kind of how we really, we did two weeks of marketing before launching from the time we introduced Maslow to the world and where we launched this Kickstarter. Um, we only had two weeks to market it. And I would strongly advise wow. anyone else doing crowdfunding to not do that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, two weeks? I'm sorry, at least maybe you said two months at first. So, okay, two weeks, huh? No. Wow, yeah. It, uh, but we were, we were aware of what we were doing there. But we had uh-huh. a couple advantages in place that your standard first-time campaign does not have. Right. Um, we, ha- we had a following, and we kind of primed them for it. And we knew the ads that were working with them, and um, things were looking pretty consistent. So when we, when we came to launch day, and anytime I talked to someone else doing a Kickstarter project, you, you should know with like 99% confidence, if you were doing a Kickstarter campaign or, or Indiegogo, whatever, day one, you know if you're going to fund or not, if you've yeah. done everything properly. And I, I think that's very surprising to a lot of people that are just hearing of crowdfunding or, or considering it. Like all the hard work's done by the time you get there. There's a lot of work afterwards, but like the launch, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So we so were you, able to, got, to leverage old contacts and all that. That's cool. And, and you got a healthy amount of press, it looks like. Uh, was, was that was that kind of coming as, as the, the campaign was, uh, was going or did you kind of go out, did you reach out to anybody before you launched? Um, it's, so we, in the, in the two weeks before the campaign, we were, we did tons of outreach, um, Mm -hmm. bloggers, publications, whatever. And no one was really taking a bite of it because this tool's a pretty big jump from the already existing tools. I mean, we were, we were saying we took a tool that's $15,000 and we made it 500 bucks and people were just like, Oh yeah, no. (laughs) Right, Um, right. And I mean, you, you know, like all you need is to get the one, the first person, the guinea pig to say, okay, I buy this or like I vetted it. And once you get that, you can get the rest of them. So we didn't get, we didn't really get any of that, um, before we launched, but pretty much within a day by coincidence, um, one of the word woodworking magazines, they're based out of, um, so, so Barr and Hannah are in, or they were in Port Townsend, Washington. They're now in Portland. Um, but by coincidence, one of these woodworking magazines happened to live very close by. Oh, wow. So he can, he came and checked it out. He said, Hey, it hasn't shipped. I don't own one yet, but I, I checked it out. The thing works. Um, you know, I think they're, I think they're legit. And so that was kind of our first publication and the rest kind of fall into play, but, sure. um, we weren't really able to take advantage of, um, some of the bigger, I mean, we got a couple big ones, but if I were to work on another campaign, I would want far more press coverage even right. before we hit the launch button. Right, right, right. So now because you are in the, was there anything, you're in the prototype section of Kickstarter, correct? 
Yes. So is there anything different because of that that you might have done language-wise or, you know, just video-wise as opposed to just being like, no, we've got it ready to go? Um, what, what did we do differently? I mean, I mean, do you, do you, do you feel like you might've maybe without just how you word stuff or how you kind of project it just because, just because it's the prototype phase and you don't want people to be like, Oh, you're going to, it's going to take you. All right. I'm going to get this in 2020. Yeah. Awesome. You know, yeah. uh, um, you know, just, just to, just to kind of make that backer feel at ease. Sure. sure. Well, so th- this machine comes in kit form, just like the other one. Mm-hmm. And so if anyone's ever done anything with a kit, you get that there requires a decent amount of like, you know, user ability there. Right, um, right. If you're purchasing a kit, you know you're spending a couple Sundays or, you know, however much time you have to get it going. And so because we knew how to communicate the kit form well, I think a lot of people were were able to understand that like, Okay, they have one of these things. They've they've done all their sourcing. They've found a way to replicate it. But at the end of the day, like this is a. Hopefully, it works. But like, and, and all the indicators say it will work. But at, we did a good job of communicating that like this is a one thing, and we're going to make copies of it, and we're going to do our very best and be transparent along that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking too that it because you had that first one and you delivered that had to just that, that that had to be its goal that had to be the goal for this right you've done it before you know you're just kind of ramping up just making it a little bit bigger for lack of a better term you know and and you, yeah, you know yeah. you know what you guys are doing so i would imagine that that had a huge huge impact underlying you know pr- probably not talked about amongst backers but just that confidence in backers to 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 get on board well, yeah. And the the original email list we built for Maslow was, you know, entirely built from the MakeSmith email list. So we were coming from a credible source. We we had done a project, we delivered on it, um, and we had succeeded there. And because this new project was coming out of that, people already had the trust kind of built in there. Sure, um, sure. So. So how did you, you know, and, and correct me if I'm right, you sold out technically, right? I think because you, you, so you shut the campaign off a little bit early, right? Right. Yeah. So, so, so we, how did you get, you know, I'm, I, this, you're the first person I've ever talked to that's had to do this. So, uh, and I've, I've done a, a healthy amount of these and I've seen a ton of campaigns. So I've, <laughs> I've actually never, I, I'm just like wondering, like, what is it like inside of your camp when you're like, I think we got to shut it off. I think we got to hit the pause button, guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think I'm on your your side on this thing a little bit too. Um, this was so this is uh, where the engineer the inventor comes into play. Um, uh-huh. We so with with MakeSmith we did about uh, 400 units and that was a nightmare. But we were doing the manufacturing in house um, okay. or or what what manufacturing there was it was in house. So that's where a lot of the trouble was. That doesn't really that's not with this project. But um, this time around. He, we were looking at the numbers. We were looking how quickly the campaign was taking off, and he said, "Well, the reason we're here today is because we we said we were going to do something. We delivered on it on all at all costs." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "I don't want this problem to get, or I don't want this to become a problem. I don't want it out of control." Right. Right. And so, as we were approaching a thousand backers, and you know, the machine tiers were selling out, we had originally planned to continue to keep going, but he was saying, "You know what? Let's." let's not be like these other big Kickstarters that take off and then end up delivering 12 to 24 months later. Like 
let's get this first group really right. Like they hopped yeah. on board early. We don't have demo units out. Like they're really, they're really believing in us and they're trusting us. Like let's, let's deliver what we promised. Um, Cause okay, the machine will be available five months from now. Uh, sure. Right. Like it's, it's not the end of the world. So I think th this was kind of his idea and his decision. Um, and I think the rationale behind it is good. Um, let's take care of the people that, you know, gave us a shot and then, everything else will come after that. No, I, I but, it but. sounds, it sounds spot on to me, man, actually, instead of, uh, and I've, I've actually talked to a couple campaigns that just got, just got huge, you know, yeah. delivering rewards was a challenge and every, and now all of a sudden you're actually risking pissing off a whole bunch of people as opposed to maybe just, you know, like you said, delivering a great thousand units to somebody, right. Or just, you know, making sure you have a thousand happy people as opposed to 4,000 people who are all a little bit angry, you know, it's like, Oh, I mean, yeah. you really get one shot. Like you got to do it right the first time, especially yeah. if you're going the Kickstarter route. I mean, if you go get investment elsewhere or whatever, and you have some time to build it and polish it, and then it's like, okay, you can go back to the public. But like, if you're, if your first shot is going through the public, you can't disappoint them. Right. And so now it's interesting how you guys kind of flipped, you flipped your re the um, campaign a little bit to where you can still get a spot in line, correct? So like if a, my dad called me today and said, hey, you know that thing you talked to, I want one. I would still be able to actually uh, correct it. I, uh, yeah, I thought I saw that on the page here where I could still actually like get in line basically, right? Yeah, and this part's a little bit of an experiment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've never seen this either, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's cool for me. You know, I'm like, all right, I've never seen this. I, I couldn't tell you with 100% confidence if it's if what we're doing is 100% foolproof, but uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're giving it a shot. But the idea is um, we want to build a, a wait list, but we don't want, in terms of building a business, we don't want a wait list that's only 5% accurate. We don't want just anyone to, to say, oh, I want one, because that doesn't really help us in terms of planning for the next several months and what, right. what comes after delivering. So we kind of put this mini little... Um, barrier in where it's like, okay, if you're willing to get on a wait list and just throw a dollar at it, that means there's a stronger commitment there than just putting in your email to some list. Yep. And they, this is uh, the engineer's idea as well. So I, I support it, um, but it's definitely interesting and I'm curious how it'll pan out. But yeah, so you, you put a dollar, you get your spot in line. When we decide, when we go to open sales again, we will go back to the people in that order. Um, and if for whatever reason we can't take all the orders on at that exact moment, it'll kind of go first come first serve. Interesting. Inter yeah. That, you, I, I think you're spot on. We actually just switched um, our, we have a, you know, a, a crowdfunding channel that we switched to pay, just pay a little bit just to filter out people who are just signing up and then literally disappearing. It makes the community not as strong. So we were like, now nah, we've got to like, got to put some barrier in there somehow you know just you want your super fans you want to know yeah. who those people are super you really important. do you really do so are you envisioning then um a campaign at some point down the road either for those people or i mean i know this is all who knows at the moment but but are you envisioning that kickstarter plays a role down uh in the future um whether i don't know if we could actually go back to kickstarter because it doesn't have to be a uh, a novel or or very different from the first time you oh, went on there. Good, I guess it's a good point. Yeah. So we would, that. we have thought about crowdfunding in general. Um, mm -hmm. cause again, like building up a launch that let's say we were quiet for a little bit cause we put our heads down and we're really trying to do a good job with this first batch. 
we would kind of need to build some excitement again to go back to the public and say, hey, we, you know, we've been quiet for a bit. We did it. We're ready to take the new orders on. Right. Um, so crowdfunding, whether it's through a mainstream platform or maybe something just done um, on our side, that's def- we're definitely thinking of doing something like that. That's cool. That's cool. So where do you see, like, I guess, Maslow kind of growing into, do you actually envision turning into a company that you're working for at some point? Or is this, this, you know, we got a cool idea. Let's get it out there, you know, type of vibe. I think, yeah, that was definitely the question with the first project. And there were a ton of reasons why that one didn't ultimately continue on. We're, we're kind of looking at this one as we're providing a tool to new markets that can really get a lot of utility out of it. And that's really exciting. And so for now, we're going to try and enable as many people as we can to have that opportunity. And if things really pick up or really slow down, we'll kind of pause and and reevaluate it. But right now we're kind of just focused on, this is really cool. We want to get this to as many people as as that, that want it. Um, So we're, we're kind of open to both. We're just keeping a close watch on it because Mm -hmm. there are strings attached from last time that were sensitive issues that we're paying really close attention to. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And, and do you envision, you know, just hypothetically that some, at some point this would be at my local home Depot or Lowe's or, you know, is that even a possibility you think? Mm, Or would you want it to be? I mean, would, I mean like, you know, or is that kind of off brand a little bit, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think it's hard because it's an open source, um, open hardware project where retailers or, or any other company that would want to license it or whatever, they, there's a lot of complexity there. So I don't know if it's, it'd be as cut and dry as getting it on the, the shelf of Home Depot. Would that be awesome? Yeah. We'd love that. But realistic, maybe not. I think just direct sales for, for the immediate future and for a while will probably work. Um, but we'll see again, we're, we're keeping an eye on it and if opportunities arise and we think it fits well, we'll do it. But, um, I don't, I don't know. I can't say yeah. right now. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to watch as well, just because of the open source angle and, you know, just, I, I, I don't know. I correct me if I'm wrong. I get this sense that there's like, there is some pride to your brand of, of kind of, you know, owning this sort of stuff, like, like creating this community and, and having the success there that I just can't, you know, licensing it to some big box, whatever just seems, I don't know, weird to me right now. Just, just having, for me taking it in from online. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, sure. You know, having full control on, on the openness of it, I think is, is pretty cool. And, uh, bar, bar would a hundred percent tell you that that that's super important. It's like, how do you say it? Like, no, he has control on no one else having control on it. And if he wants it to be totally open, he's the one who gets to decide that. And I think that's, that's kind of the dream there. Like keep this open. Um, and we'll make it happen the best that we can. That's, that's cool. So, so, you know, question I usually like to ask is over the course of this kind of project, what was the biggest pivot that you guys had? Was there anything that kind of got in your way from the original idea at all? Or you guys had to make a quick left? Anything pop up? Putting, putting a cap on the, on the quantities. That was definitely that it? Uh, yeah. not in the yeah. original plan. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so 
Yeah, I, I think that was it because we, like I mentioned earlier, like going into day one, we knew with a certain degree of confidence how day one was going to go. We were yeah. very excited about it. We got all the good indicators. We didn't know that we were going to fund in two and a half hours. We would have been stoked at like by day two or day three. Yeah. Um, so right off the bat, that I mean, it's really exciting and fun, um, but it's also terrifying because it's it's a good chunk of money that we haven't held on to before. Right, um, right, right. Especially a jump from the first project. Um, I mean, we thought that was that was awesome, and um, you know, it's not too long after that. Mm-hmm. So, I, and then, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the pivot. So that's the pivot. So, I mean, you know, so my flip question usually that is, you know, what was the monumental moment? And maybe outside of even the Kickstarter, I mean, I, I, it, everybody's gonna love when fit you you make your goal in the first couple minutes, right, or whatever it is, couple hours. Sure. You know, but but what's that moment where it was just like, oh my god, it's actually working. I can start. You know, this could happen, then this could happen. What was that moment when you're kind of like this whole idea starting to come together that was just amazing? Um, some of the more traditional woodworking authorities were, oh, you know what, actually, I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked that question because we did have a heavy level of skepticism, um, early on because we were Mm -hmm. not able to send out demo units. Um, and like I said, we didn't, we didn't have much press leading up to the campaign. And that was a little because of, we only marketed it for two weeks. Right. But, um, once we started, we, we kind of broke that and people were, the, the conversation stopped, started changing in the comment section. It wasn't like, oh, okay, well, here's, if you're in the CNC space, there are some, I guess it's with any product, but like you find those fanatics that just, they know everything about, they know more about your product than you do and they don't even have Mm -hmm. it yet. Um, and some of them are like dead on and, and, and others are, they haven't seen something like this, so it surprises them, and they want to they want to poke holes in it, which is I think you should, right. um, and that's how the most transparent campaigns happen is because people are asking a million questions, and you're like, you know, we we thought this through, but I think once the conversation changed from the skepticism to like, okay, these guys have a solid handle on what they're doing, and I, I'm confident that they're going to deliver. We were kind of like, okay we're going to do what we said. And I think what lies ahead after that first delivery um, is what excites us the most. And it's going to be a bit larger than what we originally thought it would be. So we're excited about that. That's really cool. So another thing that kind of popped in my head here and without getting into specifics on it, but you kind of talked about, I mean, you've got over $310,000 coming in, you know, coming into you, you know, it might even be already be there. How do you start to manage when you have, that's a ton of cash, right? Like, you know, uh, do you get yeah. an accountant on board? I mean, what are the first steps? Because, you know, actually, I've never, it's funny that this is my first conversation on the, on the podcast with, with a successful campaign where the money's coming in and, you know, what happens? You know, just start ordering everything or do you put somebody in charge of it? How do you do that with your company? We, so the things with the largest lead times in order to stay on track, we purchased, we got those going before the money came in. Mm. Actually, the money, the money's not even in yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. The sooner the better. Yeah. But, uh, we, yeah, we're kind of the things that are most time sensitive. We're kind of taking a slight risk on them and, and getting them going. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know. We, we learned a bunch with that first project and we're, we kind of get how it works and, 
This time we're actually anticipating the upcoming tax year and in, in, in the tax season. Um, so we know just from the first project, we know a little bit more of what we're getting ourselves into, who we need to call soon. And we've already kind of taken the necessary steps of like making sure the finances and everything are in order right now, even before the money's coming in. So that right when, I mean, January 1st or whatever, we need to make the call. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We we really got our asses kicked on that first one. <laughs> so we have a decent idea of how the finances go that's the cool. second time yeah, around. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, those are good problems to have, though, right? Because you could have a problem. Hey, our campaign didn't fund. <laughs> you could have those problems, you know. Much better to be on your side of the coin yeah. right now. <laughs> you know? Sure. But, at, but isn't that the beauty of crowdfunding, though? Like, oh, if know, no one funded it then we're not going to go waste our time building it or whatever. Oh, I, I agree completely. I, I, I yes. Uh, crowdfunding does a wonderful job of filtering uh, a lot yeah. of ideas yeah. out there. Wonderful job. Wonderful job. You know, and it wouldn't have been, I mean, we're stoked with like how it, how it turned out and what lies ahead. But if it hadn't have funded um, last month, like then we would kind of go back to what plan B was or what, what are, mm -hmm what we were originally doing. And so now this is kind of this new exciting thing that kind of changes the roadmap a bit, but I, and maybe this can be a lesson to other. Um, so, so the first, the first project, we didn't really have a plan B. Like we assumed this was going to move forward and this might be our job and our, our company for the next several years, but it didn't ultimately happen there. And I think in many circumstances for entrepreneurs, like you need to make that decision and say, you know what, screw it. I'm doing it no matter what. And if we get, if it totally falls apart, like I'm glad we tried it, but going into the second project, we all had a realistic conversation about like, okay, if this doesn't work, what are you going to do uh, so that you're not screwed? Like, let's, let's move on if it doesn't work out, but let's plan for success here. Right, right. Uh, that's good. That's good. So where did, where, where's this entrepreneur spirit coming from for you? Is it in the, is it in the, is it in the family genes, the parents who, who, uh, who put this in you a little bit? What, where's the drive coming from? Mm, the little, the fun little, I think when I first identified the little entrepreneurial bug was uh -huh. uh, when I was a kid or back in like sixth grade during the summer, I played this game called Diablo 2 and I would sell like swords and maces and shields on eBay. And this is right before they completely banned it. But I made like 600 bucks as a sixth grader over a summer and I was just like, Wow, that, was that might as well cool. been a million dollars probably at that point. You know, oh yes. yeah, you know, yeah. I was a I was a billionaire amongst friends, yeah. but uh, yeah, you're making it rain to all your friends. <laughs> yeah, I probably blew it on something stupid. I don't even <laughs> yep. remember. Right. But uh, that was that was like the first bite, and that's kind of when the first uh, the first time someone said like, "Ooh, maybe you'll be an entrepreneur," and I didn't I had no idea what that word meant, but um, you know. I, started to follow when that word would pop up, what people were talking about. And I just kind of had an interest in it from after that, from like, you know, selling candy um, in your seventh grade class or your eighth grade class and making a couple extra bucks. Right, right. Where, where are you located right now? Right now, I'm, I'm still in Santa Cruz. Okay. So, so you know, what's your relationship like then back between Portland and Santa Cruz? And, and you know, are you guys kind of all working remotely? And, and is that how the... the the kind of the company's working? Um, yeah, yeah, right now. So Bar and Hannah are together in Portland and I am uh, here in Santa Cruz. We did a lot of the 
early work and planning together in person. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. like so much back and forth that you kind of have to be. Yeah. Um, but by the time we went to launch, we were um, working remote. But that's also like kind of my role. I was more like the first project, I was an equal partner. This one, I'm kind of more focused on the crowdfunding and the marketing side of things. Gotcha. And so now that that big jump has happened, um, it'll probably be a little quieter on my end for a while. I mean, we were just talking about this uh, yesterday morning, kind of like, what do the next three months look like? And for them, like they need to put their heads down and really focus. Hannah's got to focus on the day-to-day. Bar's got to focus on the software and the hardware. Right. I'm going to help out a bit with some of the finance um, and kind of w- what we should do for marketing in the coming months. But sure. um, it, it'll be a little quieter for me, especially since I'm, uh, I'm not seeing the day-to-day right, like, right, yeah. like I was during the campaign. Gotcha. And what's the entrepreneur like spirit in both those towns? I mean, is it, is there a lot of resources for bar up in Portland for him to, you know, I don't know, incubator programs or anything like that to help with some of this process at all? Yeah. yeah. And I think for those reasons, that's why he kind of had his eye on that. He was up mm-hmm. in Port Townsend. Um, uh, his folks were up there for a bit. So he, he had just come back from like a long traveling um, bend and, um, that's kind of where he started testing this machine and it worked, but he had his eye on Portland. Once he got out of California, he was pretty determined not to come back just from, um, it's pretty crazy here in the, the Silicon Valley and, uh, yeah. you know, California costs of anything are insane right. compared to other places. Um, but he, he had his heart set on Portland and as soon as they got in there and started, um, you know, meeting people and getting introductions, they're, they're very welcoming to, um, you know, stuff brewed locally, um, open stuff, stuff that betters right. communities or has some, some type of social cause. So they're getting a lot of resources right now that maybe you could get in Santa Cruz, but, um, they're definitely there available in, in Portland. And then Santa Cruz, I mean, we have, we're like a, the tech, tech and entrepreneurial space here has been growing over pretty much after the financial crisis several years mm-hmm. back. But um, it's definitely a completely different place than when I started school many years ago. Yeah. Um, I think in, in either spot, uh, Maslow would do fine. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those things where you look at it and you're like, that is just hip and cool. You know, <laughs> even for me, I'm not a woodworker, but I just looked at it. I was like, that's awesome. That's just so awesome. So, well, cool, Tom, man, I'm glad we got to talk. I'm glad we, uh, we got this in. I know we had the holidays and life, you know, uh, but uh, I'm glad we got to do this, man, because it's it's a cool product. Uh, I think you, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see where this thing goes, man. I think it's got a bright future. Yeah, thanks a bunch. I I was uh, very embarrassed when that happened over the Thanksgiving holiday. I think I learned my my now dependence on technology because I think that's the first time that my Google calendar didn't sync up since I started using it like four yeah. or five years ago. And I was just completely useless. Like I forgot, forgot about a meeting I was supposed to have. Yeah, it's, it's all right. You know, I, I, I was actually like, uh, my wife actually, I got in trouble for our uh, scheduled meeting. So I actually, Oop. well, I, I was like, why did I schedule this on Friday? The day after Thanksgiving, my wife wants to do stuff. And I'm like, I got to do an interview. That, that's my entrepreneur spirit, right? No, think I don't think very much about other people sometimes. Like, I got to do this hey, interview, babe. Babe, I got to do it. You know? It's got to get exactly. done. Yeah. I was like, babe, I got to get this done. And she's like, get what done? I was like, I got to get this interview in. For what? My podcast, baby. 
<laughs> Did she give uh, you that yeah, scowl yeah. once? Uh, of course, that was a no show. Well, well, once you were no show, I was just like, oh, I'll email Tom later. I don't know. She's like, why aren't you doing your thing? I was like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know. So she's like, all right, well, let's go ahead and get the Christmas stuff out. All right, babe, let's get the yep. Christmas stuff out. You so, got the punishment there. Well, thanks yeah, a bunch did, for for taking the time again. No problem, man. Thanks so much. Uh, all right, it's good talk, man. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Take care. Just come a little bit closer, can you do that? Oh baby, can't you see?